guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to take a minute and thank our incredibly generous sponsors, Custom Concrete Specialists, PML Construction, the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Liquid Trucking, Risk Skill Consulting. Thank you one and all. We really appreciate your support. Now today's episode. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Doug. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. It is Friday, December 29th. Joe tells me. Yep. <laughs> I hope that's true. <laughs> I have no idea. We, we, uh, my wife and I, and one of my sons went out to California for the holidays. Oh, nice. Visited my wife's family, which is always that's a pleasure. You know, it's good to see them. We don't see them very often, and um, but invariably we get caught up in that whole airline debacle. Yep. You know, we were part of that Southwest Airlines collapse a year or so ago when the whole thing shut down. This year, I think we left at about. We left Orange County at about 10 a.m. and got into Omaha about 12.30 in the morning. Holy cow. Got some delays. Had to wow. go through Denver. Going through Denver is always a nightmare, you know. Yeah. So we, we just suffered that. And then I you know, had to get up and go to the foam plant at 7 the next morning. So didn't, I'm, running nice. on those, I'm running on vapors, <laughs> man. But uh, I hope everyone had a great Christmas. If Christmas is your holiday, great. I, I hope it was wonderful. If you celebrate in other ways, I hope that was wonderful as well. You got to spend some time with friends and family. Uh, Joe, you took the whole week off, man. That's good for you, brother. That's that's fantastic. Um, Just a couple of things before we get started. Um, I traditionally am not a goal setter. That may not surprise you. I tend to just bow do 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 through life and um, just kind of go where it leads me. But uh, my brother-in-law, Aaron, he and his family and and my wife and son, we got together for one day over the holidays and, um, he always has little activities and things. You know, he's a very interesting guy. He's a very faithful guy. He's a very spiritual guy, loves family. And so we did a little activity where we did some goal setting. So he gave us a little index card and number one was, you know, just put down one goal for 2024. Number two was, you know, a healthy habit that you may want to adopt for 2024 anything. And then number three was just a word, just simply a word that might be significant to you with regard to how you, you know, intend to approach 2024. So I thought that was really interesting. I don't set goals generally, not, not those long-term goals. I have fairly short-term goals, you know, I want to get this accomplished or whatever, you know, lists. I do that things to do. But, um, one of my goals was to be a better listener and I haven't, yeah. I haven't given you one word. Yet, you know, <laughs> yeah, so I've screwed that up. Well, it's not actually 2024 yet. That's so right. There's That's still right. time. Uh, but be a better listener, not just be quiet, but actually listen. Right. You know, I mean, I'm, uh, those two things aren't synonymous. Yeah. Being quiet isn't necessarily listening. Number two, health wise, I, I just need to get in better, like cardiovascular shape. You know, I mean, I'm just not in good shape, you yeah. know. So I'm hoping to do that. And then my word is um, fearless. I tend to be afraid of like risk taking or trying new things or things like that. And so I want to try some new things in 2024, be a little bit less reluctant, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's, those are my, do any of those resonate with you? Do you have it? Are you a goal setter? And first of all, this is my good friend, Joe Oswald. (laughs) For those of you that can see him, you know who he is. He's been around the scene here in the Nebraska area for a long time. He's head up. He's in the ethanol world. He has head up groups and uh, associations and things for years. So everybody that's in that world knows Joe. If you're just listening, Joe Oswald, EHS manager, E-Energy in Adams, Nebraska, does it all truly. And he's got some really amazing skills. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But let's go back to the you got, are you a goal guy? You probably are, aren't you? To an extent, um, more so now that the wife's got the bakery. So we've got that. Oh, she's got that side job that I, I do all the books and everything. <laughs> okay. on, So I have to plan out how I'm going to do things. Fantastic. So, so, and your, so your time is just consumed Yeah. between the plant and, and the new business and the family and yep. Yep. So you do set what give me an idea of a goal that you might have set for yourself if you if you're willing to share that. What, for what kind a, of things do you want? A goal for this next year would be to um we wanna we wanna move forward and expand the bakery. Fantastic. And it's actually more on the wife's side. You know, for so many years 
you know, my wife's been there to support everything that I've done. Sure. And I told somebody last year, and when I said it, it just resonated so much with me was, you know, when, when we were talking about, you know, her setting up her bakery and it always been a dream of hers to do a bakery and she loves to bake. Um, and, uh, and I said, you know, I said, uh, this is my time to support her. Good for you, man. In what she's doing. And that's why I took on, she's not, she's, I wouldn't say she's financially challenged. <laughs> oh, oh, say no when more. It, she's a woman. Though. She's, oh God, I didn't say that. You, you, I didn't hear it. I did not um, say that. <laughs> but you know, so, you know, things like, you know, um, spreadsheets and, and sure. keeping track of stuff. Just not less familiar you know, with that um, I've got a home office that has an inbox that's typically full of, you know, invoices and, and, and things that, you know, she's ordered for the bakery. And, I, and then I take all that, dump it into the system. And then um, on an annual basis, then I just take this flash drive and pile of papers to our accountant and say, here. Call me when it's Good done. Good luck. <laughs> right. And uh, actually, last year, uh, he actually gave us a break on our bill because he said, this is, I've never seen something so organized. <laughs> <laughs> this does not surprise so, me about you, man. So. Uh, I, I, there's nothing for me to do. And, You've of course, to... there was a couple things I had to tweak, which I did for this next year. And I actually started working on year-end stuff yesterday. And that's why I take the week after Christmas off because I'm starting to work on year-end for the bakery. Yes. And putting all that stuff together to then deliver it to them to do the the nasty which is the taxes okay well so i don't we're going to talk about you but let's talk about this bakery thing a little bit mm -hmm. this is in burr the bakery is it is there a storefront there's actually a storefront or is she working have, out of the home or what's she doing we have a store at the house at the house yep. fantastic I, I built a so we we started with a with a, a shed that i that i turned into an outdoor kitchen, and that's where we did all of our canning and stuff. Well, then she started getting calls about, can you make this? Can you bake this? So she started to um, do that on the side, and then she quit her full-time job and started doing the bakery full-time. Well, when she did that, we added another shed on the property. I completely remodeled the inside of that, and that's where her store's at. So she has her bakery where she bakes the stuff right there on site, but then the store's next door. So then she transfers over to the store. Okay. She's had people come from... Omaha, Gretna. I was just going to say, she's going to have um, some people coming from Gretna, yeah. which is where I live. Yeah. So she's she actually had a gal that, that came that called her one time and said, we've got this grandma's recipe that nobody can figure out, and would you be interested in trying? And she did it. And when the gal came and she drove three hours, um, she come from over out by GI and uh, Grand Island, and she drove three hours to get to the bakery. And when she tasted the cookie... Um, my wife said she had a tear in her eye and said that tastes just like what grandma used to make. Whoa. And nobody else in the family could make this cookie. But they had the recipe, but they could never get it right. But they just couldn't interpret the recipe or your wife couldn't yeah. figure it out. Oh, this and, is awesome, yeah, man. Yeah, and, so and so she took this so she took this cookie and, you know, and so the gal actually then called back later on and ordered a huge amount of food and of course that cookie was part of it uh -huh. and she said when her brother took a bite of it he actually cried <laughs> because it tasted it reminded them so much of their grandma so their your grandma wife has make these she has customers so, for life oh yeah she's got she's got some folks that and then of course she was on nebraska uh on uh um pure nebraska so she got interviewed for the pure nebraska episode so she was on tv man you should have um, brought her so, well, she's got, she's got orders today. That she's okay. got. If she would have brought a carrot cake, I would advertise her business forever. Yeah. So, so she was on pure Nebraska and that's when she really started getting a lot of, a lot more people from outside oh, the area. Good man. That's fantastic. And then we're working on, we're hoping that we get selected for uh, the Nebraska passport this year. Nice. So, and if she gets that, then we'll really be busy. So okay. I'm really excited for you. So now, so can you, so I've been by your place. We I was down yep. in Burr at one time. We did a little bit of work together. I was down there. We drove by your place. Yep. Didn't stop, but I can almost picture it in my mind because I think the shed existed at that point mm -hmm. when you were doing your canning and stuff. But, yes. Um, so can I eat a slice of something there when I'm there? Does she have a couple of tables in the... We're working on that. The, the indoor area is not... Um, customer friendly for sitting and eating okay but we have an outdoor area i've got a fire pit um behind the behind the store 
and then we've got tables and chairs set up where they can sit out there when it's nice out of course mm-hmm. um we did we did um both planting and harvest um because there's no restaurant or anything in in burr we actually um had dinners uh, that we made for the farmers and so the farmers would come in and and uh and eat and they would typically either take it with them or they would eat outside. And then we did breakfast at the bakery mm-hmm. where we had, we'd do a Saturday and, and we'd have people come in and we'd have people sit out there for two, three hours and just eat breakfast. Mm-hmm. And I'm loving this, man. And, so, so how long did it take you to drive up here this morning? Uh, 50 minutes, maybe. From Burr. Mm-hmm. So less than an hour from where we sit right now is a bakery that we're all going to have to ex- discover at yeah. some point here in the near future. You yep. may not even have to work. Well, that would be. Nice. I would. I would love to have to be the financial. Just the wife calls me her, uh, her um, CFO, which mm-hmm. I'm just Joe when I can do a few Fred spreadsheets. But, right. But it, this it, is uh, nice. Yeah, I was, I was just doing her books this morning and showing her, you know, because we track everything, sales and 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 inventory, cost of inventory, all of that. All Absolutely, that stuff, the so, stuff yeah. you've learned over the years from the work in the ethanol world and yep. other world. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. fantastic. Well. It, I'd like to talk more about that. Um, I'm actually carrot cake, anything like that on the re- oh, on yeah. the on she, the menu. Somewhere. She makes it. Does she? She, makes, she she does a lot of bake to order. Well, just like that, you know that one um, that one gal that that had the cookie mm-hmm. that nobody could could seem to make. You know, she makes that. She gets calls on a regular basis. Hey, I got this recipe for this or that, and if if there's a recipe, she can bake it. Well. My wife will, and I will be in touch. We'll be down to sample the wares, as, oh, it, yeah. as they say in the business. Yep, yep. It's awesome. Yeah, so she's got a um, she's got a Facebook page, Adeline's Bakery. So you can go on there and Adeline's take a peek. Bakery. Yep, she's, she's got a recipes on, or not a recipes, but her, her uh, menus on there and awesome and uh, pictures of different stuff she's made. So. Oh, that's really exciting, man. Good for so, her. Yeah. Good for you both. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you. Um, you and I have known each other. Gosh, I'm guessing. 2007. Is that- <laughs> yeah, it's 2007 because right? you were still working for OSHA at the yeah. time, and and you were compliance assistants. Right. And it was a NEEP, Association oh, of right. Nebraska Ethanol Producers. You that's- came in and started working with that. That's right. And you were kind of coordinating. You were spearheading that organization at the time? Or- yep. Yep. I remember that well. Yeah, we would come out and we would. I just kind of give an OSHA update and mm-hmm. talk about how that might impact the folks in the industry and stuff. And yep. 2007. Wow. 2007. This doesn't surprise me that you know that either. <laughs> I, you know, I live in this kind of this weird haze, but you're a, you're a detail person, obviously. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your background. What, what okay. led what your safety journey? How did you get to where you are? Well, I of course I I, I say that I grew up in the Navy, so. Um, spent eight years in the Navy as a power plant operator, which is a machinist mate. Um, worked in Nuke Power, and in Nuke Power, you're just they're very anal with what they do. Thank so you. So I grew up in that anal retentive world, you know, dealing with a nuclear regulatory commission and those folks. You just get very detail oriented, and that just um, brought me out. You know, I got out in in '94 and jumped into industry and and. Uh, been running along ever since so did a little bit of you know i did some uh did survey work i did um worked as land surveyor for a while i worked for a utility company locating buried utilities like around kansas city we did a lot of um we had the whole downtown area we had kci airport i mean we had some serious stuff um and then went to work for the railroad we closed the office in kansas city the company i was working with and and uh, so I went to work for the railroad for a while as a locomotive engineer. Um, mm. Started out as conductor and then locomotive engineer and then came into the ethanol industry. And and uh, that's where I got my my feet wet with, with consulting work. Mm-hmm. Because when I came into the ethanol industry, I found that, you know, they would build you these beautiful plants. But then they and, – and most of the plants will run rail. Not all of them, but most of them do. And they build you these nice rail yards, but nobody was providing any kind of training. Mm-hmm. to anybody on rail it was kind of a you know here's your plant tag your it good luck and you know and uh and so i built a rail safety program um at the plant that i'm at now um i built a rail safety program well then through the anip organization you know um other plants found out that my background was asking hey could you maybe come out and do some training for for us and the way we separated that was um i partnered with southeast community college in lincoln 
And so I do all my training through Southeast Community College. And that separated me from from the plant and uh, and been doing it ever since. So I've been doing that since about 2000, maybe nine or 10. Mm, OK, doing the rail safety. And then and then, of course, it, it moved into the uh, into the OSHA 10 and 30s. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done some together. Yeah, we have. OSHA 10s and yeah 30, you've done so. some for me in the past, man, which is always yeah. exceptional. So and I and I just find it I find it interesting that when I go out and train, what I love about it is is I was a Navy instructor for my last two years, so I taught classes in the Navy. And um so that's it kind of just blended into my background. Um but I love um helping people understand how to implement programs. So you mm-hmm. can read the OSHA manual and it'll tell you what you need to do. The hard part is taking that and then making it work at your facility. Definitely. And that's where a lot of people um, struggle. And I know we're going to talk about PSM a little bit, and it's no different with PSM. People read the standard and they go, oh, my gosh, this thing's huge. Well, you just pick it apart, you know, and then determine how can I make it work for my facility? Because PSM for one facility is not going to be PSM for another. It's very, it's very unique for that facility mm-hmm. and the first piece is the chemicals and then and then what chemicals do i have that would make me covered under psm and then how do i build this program mm-hmm. and psm just made sense to me um when i first came into the industry because it's it's no different than what we dealt with in nuke power it's just a different animal mm-hmm. but it's the same kind of thing so it just as i was reading through it's like yeah this makes sense to me a lot of people just can't seem to wrap their brain around it, and mm-hmm. it, it can be tough. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So let's go back. So you said you grew up in the Navy. Did you go? Were you how, how old were you when you went into the Navy? I was seventeen. Is that right? I was seventeen. I was in boot camp for my eighteenth birthday. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> I was. Is that, I was. Is that legal? My uh, did well, somebody have my, to sign you all yeah, away? My parents had to sign me away. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I was actually deployed um, six months after I joined. So. 18 years old, I was, I was hopscotching all over Europe. No kidding. Um, deployed wow. overseas. So we what did a way to grow cruise. up. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, did two deployments before I went shore duty. So, um, and then, uh, I was actually a plank owner, what they call a plank owner on the George Washington, which is an aircraft carrier. So I was there for christening. I was there com- for commissioning, sea trials, acceptance trials, all that stuff. I was part of that crew. Fantastic. So that was, that was neat. And, and I still, of course, I still follow them today. I'll bet you do. So yeah. And that, that group there. of men that were part of that yep. plank owners, the people that were there for the very beginning. I mean, that's a pretty tight group, I bet. It is. It is. Um, you know, because there's only plank owners. There's probably only 1,500 people in the world that are plank owners at that mm-hmm. ship. Mm-hmm. And I've got a plaque that, you know, because when it was in dry dock, they set it on wood. And then they took them wood planks and, and in laser engraved plaques for all the plank owners. And so, because fantastic. you know, in the old days, you'd actually get a piece of the plank off the ship, off the the floor. They'd pull a board up, and mm-hmm. here's your plank. Well, they're all metal ships now, so they don't <laughs> do that anymore. Right? Um, that, but that's how they do the plank owners and now. So, is, what's a nuke sub like for those of us that have never been on one, or will never see one even? A nuke, a nuke sub. I've only been on one. It was a fast attack. We were doing some work on it. What's, what's that like? It's it's like going down into a closet. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is tight quarters. Um, there's not a lot of room for anything. And and luckily for us, they were pier side, so they didn't close any hatches or anything. But mm-hmm. you could just tell that, you know, when these, when these boys go down. And and, and I worked with, with several um, what we called bubbleheads, um, which was <laughs> submariners. And I worked with several of them where they were down, you know, for three, four months before they ever saw daylight. They just stayed down that long. Do you got to sedate them or something? I mean, how do, how do you, I think that would, there must be a lot of psychological evaluation prior that, you know, so you don't lose it down there. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you get, you know, it's a, it's a, well, and and of course for anybody that's claustrophobic, it's game over. You're out. I mean, as soon as they close the hatch, I mean, you're in there for the long term, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, Fast attacks, and, and then you got, you know, you got your fast attacks, and you got your boomers, mm-hmm. which are your, you know, your, uh, they carry the, the uh, guided missile crews, mm-hmm. the, the missiles, and, uh, and those boomers would go out, and both of them go out. You never know where they're at. You know they're there. Mm-hmm. You know, I was with the John F. Kennedy battle group in 88, 89. We did our second med cruise. 
we're the and we're the ones that splash those two migs over in Libya, mm. and uh, and uh, they wanted to get a picture of the battle group, so they got all the ships together. And it's funny because, you know, when they went to take the picture, um, there's a submarine, so the fast tack because there's always a fast tack attached to the to the battle group, and so pops his head up, they get the picture, goes back down, gone and gone, <laughs> no so doubt. You, you they don't want to be there. known. They don't want the people to know where they are, I'm sure. Yeah. So they just And they call it the silent service mm-hmm. because you never know where they're at. You never know where they're going to be, but you always know that they're there. And I actually, I, I consider safety kind of like the silent service. You never want to have to use it. You know, um, we're there. Um, you want people to talk about it, but we don't, we don't talk about it maybe as much as we should. Um, but it's one, of those, it's one of those things that if you're talking about it, it's usually because of an incident. Mm-hmm. versus, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing all this work so that you never have an incident. And it's kind of the same thing with the submarines. They're always out there. They're always patrolling. You never want to have to use them, but it's nice to know that they're mm-hmm. there. This, that is a really interesting analogy. I appreciate that because I think, you know, I work with a lot of safety people and in my clients, the safety people in these different organizations, they always feel underappreciated. Mm-hmm. They, they tend to take a lot of crap, you know? I mean, even the really nice, experienced guys, they still, people still view them differently. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I think in part because that's, they don't, they don't understand what's going on in the background, the amount of work, preparation, implementation, all those things yep. you talked about that are going on that you don't see. All you see is the safety guy shows up, makes some comment that, Typically, you feel offended by, yep. I suppose, yep. and then they're gone again. And I, and so, I don't think there's a real understanding or appreciation for what goes into that necessarily. So that, to me, is a really interesting analogy. Yeah, how important yeah. that is for the peace of mind that we all need yep. to do our work. But yeah, because I had an assistant at one time, <clears throat> at one time, and I and I had asked him, you know, I said, you know, what is what is your, you know, what are your goals? And he said, you know, from a safety perspective, what are, you know, what kind of goals do you have? And he said, I want people to know that I was here, that I did something. And, and he was a, he was a fellow um, shipmate. Um, We spent time on separate ships, but, you know, once, you know, all Navy people are shipmates, regardless of when you was in. And, and, uh, and I told him, I said, you know, I said, I look at safety kind of like the silent service, you know, kind of like the submariners, you know, they're there. And, but when you have to use them, you know, it's gone bad enough that if, if they're there and, and you're having to use them, it's bad day. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like same thing with safety. You know, usually safety gets this bright light shown on them when you have an incident, mm-hmm. whether it be a fatality or an amputation or whatever the case may be, then safety becomes a huge deal. It's there for a while. It's a big deal for a while. And then it kind of fades back into the background. You know, Hosha goes away, everybody kind of fades off, and then we go back to doing what we're doing. And it's really unfortunate because it's okay to fade, but it's not okay to relax. You know, and and I've always said that, you know, for those companies that have zero incidents for, you know, one, two, three, whatever the case may be, years, you know, good for you. But for somebody like me, that's that scares the crap out of me because then i'm worried about what are we missing let's not get complacent mm-hmm. yes we're a safe company but there's a reason for that and it's because you got to be very very aware of safety and keep it at the forefront even though we kind of want it to be quiet mm-hmm. but keeping it at the forefront so it's it's challenging to get all of those things in place you know and it's really challenging for those that you know Um, Like my assistant, you know, he wanted people to know that he was here and I'm just the opposite. I want people to know that I'm here as a tool for them to use to be safe. But I'm also it's also okay if they don't talk to me, Mm -hmm. you know, so you really don't want to be in the forefront, certainly. Right. Usually if you're in the forefront, it's because it's a bad thing, typically. Right. Really interesting, Joe. Um, And I've always appreciated you for the, you know, you're just such a thoughtful safety person. Um, You've touched on a few things, things that, that when we talked about before we started recording, um, my, my having learned over the course of my career, you know, to stay in my lane, you know, to, to, to focus on things that I, that I'm comfortable with, that I understand that I'm relatively good at. And not those other things. And so 
uh, and your, your skill set it certainly includes what I do, but you do things that oftentimes a lot of people don't do. The rail safety thing is really interesting to me. And you talked about working, you know, for a railroad as yep. a conductor and as an engineer. Um, and that, so, so you have provided those skills to some of my clients. Mm-hmm. Those are things that are, that's kind of a unique skill set. Not a lot of people have expertise in rail, rail safety, but Certainly in the ethanol world, every ethanol facility is, is every ethanol facility loading onto rail cars and is that most of them are. There's a few. Um there's a few out in Colorado that are close enough to the Denver, Denver metro area that they can truck all theirs. Okay. Um but typically um a typical ethanol plant's gonna have some sort of rail. Right. Um and it might be a split between truck and rail traffic. Um but for like um for the facility that I'm at you know, I would say 99% of ours goes out by rail. Right. Mm-hmm. So interesting, you know, and and that's why when we, when we first showed up, you know, and, and we got a locomotive um, versus a track mobile and uh, you know, and, and so when it showed up, I immediately jumped in and, and, uh, and started moving rail cars, you know, as part of the, part of the deal. Um, I actually went out and trained all the guys on how to run a loco and how mm-hmm. to, how to switch cars and how to do all that stuff. You know, and part of that was just getting out there and running with them. Mm-hmm. And, and I still love doing it today. I love getting out there and running I'll with bet. them. But I've got, we've got two guys out there that have been there for, you know, 10 years. So it's, they don't yeah. ask so as experience. much as they used yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. But now but, you're doing yeah. some work. As you mentioned, you do this full-time with the ethanol facility, which is a full-time gig. Yep. But you do work on the side. You do training. You've done a lot of work for my clients over the years. Rail, yep. specifically the PSM stuff as well, mm-hmm. which, again, is a niche you know, people that are really good at PSM tend to focus on PSM, and they don't yeah. really do a lot of other things because it is such a, you know, there's a lot to it. You know, it's, I was going to say it's very sophisticated. I, I thought you, you described it really well because it is very location-specific. Every PSM yep. program is going to be that site-specific uh, uh, entity. It's not you don't just plug it in. right. It's you not know. a program that you can just go buy off a shelf and make work for exactly. you. There's so much detail that has to go into that, and it's detail-specific for your facility, starting with the chemicals that you use. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, your mechanical integrity and your, you know, your process safety information, all those different elements are all very specific to your facility. So even ethanol plants, you know, uh, most ethanol plants are going to run at X, whatever X is. You know, and they're going to have certain chemicals. They're going to be they're going to be pretty much the same. You got your high proof alcohol, and you got your most of them, uh, or a lot of them have ammonia and mm-hmm. under ammonia. And so you would think, oh well, that'll be easy. You can plug that in between several different plants. Well, it's not true because each one of those is going to have unique uh, process safety information, which includes, um, you know, your pressures, your temperatures. How do you run your process? All of those, all of those feed into the PSM program. Mm-hmm. And it can be different for each facility, even two facilities that are identical mm-hmm. in size and, and scope will have different PSI information. Yeah. So so um, we only have an hour total for this. And so we can we, we should be breaking this into multiple episodes. But let's just do a quick PSM for dummies overview. People that okay. that are under PSM. <laughs> certainly understand what that means. They may not be doing it well, but they understand what that means and what quali- what requires them to be in in PSM. Oh sure. The threshold quantities of yep. these highly hazardous chemicals. I'd like to do a like a just a, like a 5-10 minute PSM for dummies. What what is PSM? What does that mean for people that don't understand that process safety management? What are we talking about? It's taking your process and actually managing it in a way that, you know, that we keep the product in the pipe. Is what it boils down to. So Great you got, you know, so you got, you got your piping inside your plant. That is your primary containment. So when you talk about sumps and you talk about, you know, you might have sumps out in different areas, and all of that stuff's called secondary containment. And why is that? Because the pipe is your primary containment. Keep it in the pipe, and your process safety management is all about keeping it in the pipe. So when you look at things like mechanical integrity, and then you dive into you know, um, some of your um, American Petroleum Institute API standards where it talks about, you know, baseline thickness testing and all those things. All of that stuff's designed to make sure that you're maintaining your equipment to keep the product in the pipe. Okay. 
And so when you look at that, and and that's another that's part of the struggle that people have with with PSM. You think, well, the fourteen elements are there. You know, OSHA has put these elements into the standard, which is you know the one nineteen standard. They put all that stuff in there. Well, I'm doing that. Well, um, the good and the bad with OSHA is, and I've always told everybody, you know, what's written in the book is just the basics. And if you go to the front of the OSHA manual, they get, they've incorporated by reference a whole bunch of standards. And then, of course, we both know general duty clause captures everything. Yeah, yeah. You can't just put everything in the OSHA manual. So the OSHA manual is a starting point. But then you got to branch out into other areas, you know, your API standards, maybe some of your NIOSH and, and some of those other mm-hmm. standards that, that deal with, you know, your vessels and your piping systems, your B313s and your API 510s. Those are going to tell you how you're supposed to maintain those pressure vessels and and piping, you know, and then you're doing your thickness testing and and all of these things. All of that's part of PSM, and and people they they miss that because when you when you read through the standard, it'll say maintain your equipment per manufacturer's recommendations. Well, that can take you down a rabbit hole that just mm-hmm. just one vessel can take you in multiple directions. Yeah, and and some people just don't know where to look. Yeah. They're not sure where to go, um, where, you know, um, all of those standards are part of it. So you have to you have to bring all those into the fold. It's not all going to be in the ocean manual. Mm -hmm. It's that's that's your basic guidelines um, for it. And and it's and it's not OSHA's fault. If they they put everything in the manual, we would have we would have rooms full of books. Mm -hmm. And just for PSM, you would have rooms of books to cover all these different things. Right. And they just can't do it. You know, it, it's just not something that, that you can put into one manual and cover everything because mm-hmm. there's always that one piece that you miss, you know. So, you know, when you're looking at your mechanical integrity and you're looking at, like I say, baseline thickness testing, you're looking at your your PRVs, you know, your your pressure regulating devices and how do you maintain those. And that's a different manual. And then you go into, you know, piping and that's a different manual. And you go into all these different things that are part of your of your mechanical integrity, which is just one element of the mm-hmm. 14 of PSM and mechanical integrity alone can be a full-time job mm-hmm. because that's where your maintenance group, how do they maintain your equipment? How do we keep that chemical in that pipe? How I love that description. That's what it's about, right? That's it in a nutshell. If you keep it in the pipe, good things can happen. Yeah. But so there are, there's a list. I think there's a, an appendix that lists all of these hazardous chemicals yep. and the threshold quantities that trigger this PSM requirement, yep. but it's all about chemical in process and keeping it in the process. Keeping it, keeping it in the pipe. Yeah, keeping man. it in the pipe, keeping it in the tank. And um, just circling back on that threshold quantity, when you look at that, um, you want to make sure you understand that that is in pounds, not gallons. Okay. And I've seen people get mixed up on that because they say, well, it says 10,000 gallons. I only have 7,000 gallons on site. Right. And no, that's 10,000 pounds. So then you go to your SDS sheet, determine how many, you know, what your liquid weighs Mm -hmm. and figure out you have to do that conversion from pounds to gallons. And then you find that a lot of people don't realize that that they have a threshold quantity because they look at it from a gallon perspective instead of pounds. So rather than 7,000 gallons, they got 56,000 pounds or something. Exactly, which is way over the threshold. And now they need to build their program. Yeah, I I think there are. There are certain industries, ethanol, uh, often like the the people that use like ammonia refrigerant, things like Mm -hmm. that. I think for the most part, they understand that, but not all of them. Some of the smaller operators don't really get it and they don't realize. But I've got I've got facilities that handle a lot of chemical, but they're not necessarily covered. They don't meet a threshold quantity, but they've got some hazardous chemicals and just the basic concepts of PSM are very useful to those organizations, even though they may not be covered by PSM, yep. the PSM, like the management of change. Can you talk a little bit about what management of change means, so, at least from a PSM standpoint? Oh, sure. So management of change is when you're making a change to the process that could affect the outcome of that process, you know, you, you're going to want to look at things. You're going to want to do what they call a PHA, which is process hazard analysis. And you're going to look at all of those things that we've talked about so far. You're going to look at all your pressures, temperatures, all these things. And based on this change that you're that you're going to make in your process, could it affect upstream or downstream processes, and can they handle it? So let's say something as simple as I'm going to change uh, I'm going to change impeller size in this pump, and I'm going to go from a 15 to an 18, 
18 inch or whatever the case may be, your 15 and a half. Well, why do you normally change the impeller? Because you want to increase flow. Well, can your downstream process handle that increased flow? Because that, that flow is going somewhere. And let's say it's going to a tank. Well, can that tank handle that increased flow? Because now you have a tank with another pump that's got to pull it away. So you're putting more in, you're putting product into that tank faster. Can you pull it out without overflowing a tank or causing or overpressurizing a vessel? Mm-hmm. All of those things are part of uh, management of change. Um, and then you look at things like, you know, um, SOP, standard operating procedures. Does, does this change affect how we're going to operate the plant? Yes or no? Well, if it's yes, well, now you've got employees that need to be trained on those SOPs before you put the process mm-hmm. into, into service. There's all these different things that management of change puts it into, into kind of like a checklist. Have we looked at all these things and have we determined that we can run this process safely? And then you do your, and then part of your management of change is also your pre-startup safety reviews, mm-hmm. which is you're going to walk everything down. You're going to ensure that you've you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's before you put that into service. Mm-hmm. And that's all part of a management of change package for one change. Versus, you know, and so you think when you think of the entirety of a plant. And you're thinking about all the things, you know, you want to increase efficiencies and you want to increase capacities and you want to, you know, throughput's always important. You know, we want to get more product. And what that management of change does is it forces you to look at your process and ensure that by making that change, you are now, you are not, um, you are not introducing a, a different hazard mm-hmm. downstream. Okay, I got this new pump. What's the hazards? And what's the hazards upstream? Let's say that we're reducing the size of that. Can the upstream process handle that? Because you got, you know, you got your process and you're making a change to one little piece of it. Can we handle it on both yeah. ends? What's that doing pressure upstream? What's that? Downstream to mm-hmm. hold. It, it, Do we it's have to change whole, pressure relief in some way? Yep. Or? And you could. And, it, and it's all <laughs> part of the management of change process. And again, that's just one element of PSM. Mm-hmm. But it touches on so many others. It touches on your SOPs. It touches on... You know, your mechanical integrity, okay, you've got a new piece of equipment. How are you going to maintain it? You know, and operator training, uh, mechanics training, if it's a new process, you know, are your mechanics properly trained on how to manage this um, or how to maintain this equipment? You know, your your uh, when you look at MI, going back to your mechanical integrity, that includes your PMs, which are preventive maintenance procedures for all that equipment that is part of PSM. Mm-hmm. So it can be a full-time job. Definitely. Just PSM. Yes. Having one person to just drive this and drive all these different, the 14 elements. Yes. And so as a consultant, when you consult with people, you're not, are you developing PSM programs or are you auditing programs or what do you do? How do you help people with their PSM? Make sure they haven't missed something. Usually it's, usually I start with an audit and whether it be safety or rail, I always like to try, I always like to start with an audit to understand, well, where are you at today mm-hmm. and what assistance could you need? Because a lot of times they'll call and they'll say, well, I'm not sure what I got. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a look at that, figure out what you have, and then figure out if there are things. You know, there might be things you're doing really good. Say, man, that's a really good piece of the program. Yeah, you can tweak this a little bit. You know, I think most people have a, a good start. They're just looking for, is this good enough to pass an inspection? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and so, or keep and my, so you look at keep that. My- Stuff in the pipe. Or keep the stuff in the pipe. <laughs> Whatever that is. And so, you know, and some of that can be a, dig, a deeper dive. You know, when you start talking mechanical integrity and things like that, that can take you down some significant rabbit holes. Because mm-hmm. now you're looking at PMs and you're looking at specific equipment. And do, do the PMs meet the manufacturer's recommendations or best management practices? Mm-hmm. So there's two pieces of that. You can do strictly manufacturer's recommendations, which nowadays with the with – the, um, with legalities of everything, a lot of manufacturers um, don't give specific procedures anymore. They say, well, you know, maybe grease it on a frequency of three to six months, you know. And, and, and it, so it can be a challenge to build your PMs based on manufacturer's recommendations. They're just less so, willing to give you specifics, certainly. I, they don't yeah. like that, to box themselves in like that, right. probably. And so, and so then you have your BMPs, so which your best management practices. You have folks that know that... You know, we've been dealing with these pumps for years, and this seal only requires, you know, greasing every quarter or every six months or whatever the case may be. Because, you, believe it or not, you can't over-grease stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's where your best management practices come in 
And as part of process safety management, you can use best management practices, but you have to document why you're not following the manufacturer's recommendations. And it's as simple as, you know, having a piece of paper that says we've done the analysis, we're going to do this because we know that this pump does this. You write it all down, put it in the file, and away you go. Interesting. And what and what a lot of people fail to do is they fail to document. Yeah. yeah. Is what I find a lot is it's not that they're not doing it. It's that they're, you know, I, I sat in a some seminars out in, in Denver a long time ago, and I remember um, it was an EPA inspector, and we were talking risk management, which is the PSM side for EPA. Mm-hmm. And, and the auditor stood up. And you could hear a pin drop when he said it. And to me, it made perfect sense. Um, but a lot of people were just amazed that he even said it. And he said, if it's not wrote down, you didn't do it. Period. End of story. You could have the greatest story in the world. You could sit here and tell me everything that you did. Yep, that sounds perfect. Where's it written down? Mm-hmm. It's not. Well, you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I went through an RMP audit years ago with EPA and the EPA auditor. She said exactly that to me. Um, as part of PSM and RMP, you should have a management program that tells that each element, how am I, how am I developing and building each element of that program? And so as we're going through the, the audit, she asked me, she goes, do you have a management system? And I said, well, here's what we do. And so we spent a couple hours going over all this stuff. She goes, that's exactly right. That's you're doing exactly what you need to be doing. Do you have that wrote down? And I gave her that deer in the headlight look. I'm like, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm-hmm. You know, and this has been years ago. And and she's and she said exactly that. She goes, you know, you're doing everything right, but you don't have any of it written down. So how do I know that you're actually doing it? Mm-hmm. And so you develop your management book and it's basically taking each element of PSM and then explaining how do I make this element work? So how do I do MI? How do I do this? And develop that that manual. And I developed that manual, sent it to her and it was perfect. And, then, and and that, yeah. and, she, and that was one of the citations ones. We didn't have a management system, which they were looking for something in writing. I see. And so I built that, sent it to her, citation went away. She said, this is perfect, done. Awesome. And went away from it. So, And that's one of the things I find with a lot of folks is they just don't have those – they don't have it wrote down. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're. It's not that they're not doing it. They're doing it, but they don't have it wrote down. And they need so, to. And they need to because you know, someday we're all going to retire. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but and you know, and so, and so that knowledge base goes away. Right. Well, then somebody new comes in. How do they know what to do? They typically don't because right. you know they're trying to rebuild. You know, they're trying to rebuild that wheel because you know. Because it's not written down. Anymore. Right. So they're trying to decipher the little bits and pieces that they see that are in place. Yep. And it always takes a different path. Uh, invariably, when I, I interact with changes in safety people, that guy before me was an idiot. He didn't know, you know, well, he probably, he or she had a good plan. Yep. Maybe didn't have it detailed and documented correctly or to the, you know, adequately. But so it's always going off in a different direction, and people are changing directions all the time. Whereas yep. if we had this level of documentation, we wouldn't have to change direction. We could just yep. and, and stay on the path. Well, and it's about interpreting the standards, too, because, you know, I've sat in a room with other folks, and we've read the exact same standard together, and we interpret it completely different. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had that with OSHA inspectors, and I've had it mm-hmm. with just other safety guys. You know, they'll read the standard, and they say, well, I read it like this, and I'll read it, and, well, I read it like this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, had some success with, with OSHA, you know, um, uh, Matt Thoroughby, which mm-hmm. maybe people know or don't know is the area director now. Well, mm-hmm. he was one of their PSM inspectors, and I spent yeah. six months off and on with him <laughs> way back when <laughs> right. doing a PSM audit. Yeah. And there were times where we would sit in a room, and, and he would be reading, and we would spend an hour, hour and a half just talking about a standard. And, and say, with well, that- I interpret it this way, and here's what I'm doing. And he'd go, uh, yeah, or nay. You know, we would. I, I would say we would argue, mm-hmm. but it's more of a. It's kind of like it's kind of like attorneys. You're mm-hmm. not physically arguing with each other, but you're arguing the facts. You know, here's what I I think we're meeting the, the right. intent of the standard because certainly based this. on my interpretation of the standard, we're meeting that right. And that's what's most important is do you are you meeting the intent of the standard? Right. And if you are, that can look like ten different things for ten different facilities. Right. Each facility does it differently. You know, hot work permitting is a good example. It's part of your PSM program. You have to have a hot work program. That can look radically different between facilities. But are you meeting the intent of the hot work program? 
And if the answer is yes, then then you're good. And it's all about meeting that intent. And it's and it's that way with any standard that's out there. You read through it, and are you meeting the intent of the standard? And, you know, you brought up a, an interesting point earlier about, you know, there's people that are below the threshold quantity for a chemical, um, but they might be covered somewhere else. Pneumonia is a good one. You know, you're below the threshold quantity, but there's a whole separate standard within the, within the OSHA manual for ammonia, for mm-hmm, anhydrous mm-hmm. ammonia on site. If you have a incident with ammonia, that doesn't mean you can't be cited through the PSM standard because the general duty clause gives OSHA the latitude that then I say, and, and I mean it with the best with the best of intent, is they will go find the standard. They will go find the language because really what it boils down to is if you read 5A1 and 5A1 says the employer shall provide the employee a workplace free from recognized hazards. Key words, recognized hazard. If it's a recognized hazard, ammonia is, whether it be 100 pounds or 10,000 pounds or 100,000 pounds, it's a recognized hazard. How are you protecting your employees from it? And that's what OSHA is going to look at when they come in is that recognized hazard. Did you recognize a hazard, and what were you doing to mitigate it? And if the answer is we weren't doing anything, they can pull the language out of wherever they want because mm-hmm. 5A1 allows that. Absolutely. And I've seen it happen where there were facilities that weren't part of the PSM program, but they were cited, and the language was word for word out of out of one nineteen. Right. So they're not citing one nineteen specifically, but they're using that as a reference in their five A one to demonstrate, you know, this is a recognized hazard, and this is a way to mitigate that. Yes, and 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 so for whatever reason, I know there was a fatality in Nebraska one time um, with a facility that wasn't part of PSM, mm-hmm. and they got cited, and it was word for word right out of one nineteen. Mm-hmm. Because they had anhydrous ammonia on site. I'm familiar with that one. So, um, and I know that, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm not, you know, I don't have enough ammonia, so it doesn't matter. And it's really not true because 5A1. So what I try to do is I try to build my my programs based on 5A1, which, um, and and I even teach this in when I teach OSHA 10 and 30 classes, you know, and and I make sure and talk specifically about 5A1 because a lot of people miss that. They, well, there's not an OSHA standard for it. There doesn't have to be. 5A1, recognize risk. Mm -hmm. What's the risk and what are you doing to mitigate the risk? I call it safety 101. Um, And I have, I've developed a class that I teach through Southeast called safety 101. And um, I was teaching a class for Southeast here, last year and we were doing OSHA 10 class, you know, and you have your standard OSHA, um, stuff. And, uh, and at the end I did my safety 101 as kind of a, Hey, you know, you have those electives that you can do. And I did safety 101 and it's basically, it boils safety down to recognizing risk, developing mitigation strategies to reduce or eliminate the risk and do that. Hmm. And I learned that through, through a class that I took, or through a seminar that I was with, and a gentleman stood up and he mentioned those things, and it was like a light kicked on in my head. And this is being in the safety world for ten plus years, and I was sitting in this class or sitting in this seminar, and he mentioned that, and it was like a light kicked on, and I immediately got his book. I can't remember the name of the book, but I've got it on my shelf at work, and the light immediately kicked on. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's it! Mm-hmm. It's not about what's in the OSHA manual. It's not about what NIOSH says. Not about what you know. All these different books, all these different." It's about what's the risk and what am I doing to mitigate the risk. Now, if you can do that, then you can piece it into a standard. But if you and, and sometimes there's not a standard because, mm-hmm. you know, we both know and it's kind of a gross analogy. But, you know, the OSHA manual is written in blood. Mm-hmm. These are the ones that killed a lot of people. And so they so they promulgated a standard based on that. Right. But that doesn't mean that's the only risk that's out there. Right. And so we have to look at that risk. And so as safety folks, we have to have our eyes open to that risk. And, and all of our people, what's the risk when you walk into a room? And then what are you going to do to mitigate the risk? And it could be as simple as a cord's laid across the floor. Well, I'm going to roll it up. Or a hose laying across the floor. Well, I'm going to roll it up. You know, um, but there's other strategies. And, there, and I, I got a whole class on this. And what I found interesting was as I taught this class, this, this one class, so I went through the OSHA, the OSHA 10 class taught all the standard stuff, you know, and the folks are sitting there in a room and they're paying attention, but, you know, just, 
And I started teaching the safety 101, and they're scribbling on I see people out there just writing as fast as I'm talking and uh, trying to write all this stuff down because that's really where the rubber meets the road. You know, you got all these different standards that you can really try and focus on, which is which is good because um, it, it gives you some framework. But if you look at it from a perspective of what's the risk and what can I do to mitigate it, if you can do that, then you can pull, you'll find a standard to plug it into at some point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you look at a vessel and you say, okay, that's a pressure vessel. What do I do to keep the stuff in the vessel? And you start to develop this framework and, you know, and, and the API standards, things like that are going to give you those, those specifics on, you know, doing your baseline thickness testing and then doing thickness testing based on, you know, on those, on those things. But it's all about the risk. Mm. And so I spend, I, I spend a lot of time teaching on just, again, what I call the safety 101, which is recognizing the risk. Because if you can't recognize the risk, then you can't develop mitigation strategies. So you yeah, have absolutely. to have your eyes open. You have to use your senses mm-hmm. to recognize that risk. And I think if you're taking that approach, identify the risk, you know, develop some type of mitig- mitigation to reduce it or eliminate it, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. then generally you can put yourself in compliance relatively easily, mm-hmm. you know, rather than the opposite. Sometimes you comply, but you haven't really mitigated the risk necessarily, or right. you haven't identified all of the risks because I think, I think we suffer from this compliance fatigue at times, you know, mm-hmm. I just walk around looking for things from the book, like a checklist. And that's to some degree that's helpful, but it's, it's not all encompassing. You miss a lot that way. Right. You know? So yep. I don't, it, I don't love that. Yes, it's it, you know you, you you need to go out into an environment looking for that risk. What's the risk of that guard being off? You know, what's the risk of not having a keeper pin in that hose? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. you know, what's the risk of this hose laying across the floor? You know, and at, identifying those risks and some of the mitigation strategies are a little more challenging than others. So you know, you got the pyramid. You know, elimination, substitution, engineering controls, administrative controls, and PPE. You know, those are all different levels of, of mitigating that risk. And, of course, as you go up the pyramid, starting with elimination substitution, the dollar signs go up as you look at that. But if you're if you're lucky enough to be the, on the head end of a project, you can mitigate that risk based on how you build it. Mm-hmm. And we've done that. I've been on the head end of projects where we looked at how can we mitigate risk. And it might be as simple as don't put walls up. You know, so when you're talking about combustible dust, you have to have five things for combustible dust. To, right. To, uh, to occur, and one of them is confinement. Mm-hmm. Well, if you remove the confinement, what do you have left? Mm-hmm. If you take one of those elements away, now you have taken away the ability to have a combustible dust explosion. And mechanics might not like it this time of year. It's a little harder <laughs> to work on equipment when it's really cold. Sure. But you're looking more at risk of, you know, what's the risk of closing that in? And that could be now you've confined that dust into an area where you, yeah. it doesn't mean you can't have a deflagration event, right. but a deflagration event's not going to blow walls out. Right. It's not going to blow equipment up. You're yeah. going to have a quick you're fireball those secondary and it away, and, and you won't have the secondary because you're because you don't have anything confined in that that sudden yeah. increase in pressure. It just kind of goes away. It dissipates. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you know, so that's Excellent. you know, so when you're looking at that and you're looking at safety, thinking what's the risk. You know, then you start working through that. And once it's once the system's in place, it's harder to do the elimination and substitution. Mm-hmm. But engineering controls, you know, you got that real noisy, uh, real noisy air compressor. You could put walls around it and reduce what I call reduce the footprint of that noisy area. Mm-hmm. So it's not half the plant now. It's reduced to an area um, inside a room, which now you might have, you know, specific hearing protection requirements in that room, but not in the entire plant. And then your administrative controls are your pro- policies and procedures. And then, of course, PPE and people, you know, people think, well, you've given up on everything else. So PPE is the answer. No, you can do things safely with PPE. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have the administrative controls, the engineering controls, all these other things. If you can do it safely with PPE, that's OK. And I've seen PPE work. Absolutely. I've seen it work. I've seen, you know, we, I've seen arc flash. I've seen arc flashes where the guy walked out of the room and had no issues whatsoever. And he was consumed by a fireball. Right. And he walked out and, and the only thing he had was where they'd taped his, where they'd taped his gloves together. He had just a little bit of piece of the tape that didn't quite stick. And he had just a little bit like a first degree burn right there in that one little spot. And that was it. 
It's amazing. And I remember him telling me, because um, I was involved with that, and I remember him telling me, he said, you know, I'm re- and this was a, an electrician. He said, I'm really, and it was a young kid. He said, I'm really think, rethinking my career path because it scared the heck out of him. And I said, here's two things that you need to keep in mind. One, you had all your PPE on. You was doing everything light. Right. Look where you're at. It blew the entire side of the panel out. Mm-hmm. Look where you're at. You're standing here talking to me. And the most important thing is you're going home to see your family tonight. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. He was more worried about, oh, my gosh, look at all the money you're going to have to spend to replace this panel. And I said, I don't care about that panel. What I care about is the fact that you get to go home and see your family tonight. And he stopped by my office on that. It, this happened like on a Wednesday. He stopped by my office on a Friday. And when he walked in my office, he said, I want to apologize. And I stopped him in his tracks. And I said, you did nothing wrong. Root cause, we found that when they were pulling the wire, they nicked a cable. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're talking very high-voltage stuff, it don't take much. Right. And that's what caused it. They had done all the inspections, they, and they just missed this little mm-hmm. nick. And to this day, I still have that piece of wire in my office. And I stopped him in his tracks, and he had tears in his eyes because he was worried, that, you know, you know, oh, my gosh, look at all the money that I caused, you know, this yeah. damage, this equipment, and everything. And I looked right at him, and I said, the only thing that's important is that you're going home to see your kids. Mm-hmm. So that's all that's important. We can replace that panel. We can replace all that stuff. We can't replace you. Right. And, yeah, it's and interesting how— And that's what safety's all about. That's why we do what we do. Well, sometimes I think people—sometimes people gravitate to looking at things as negatives— that was that's a success, really, right? That's I mean, a success story. You know, we identified this hazard, we prescribed these controls, and the controls worked. Yep. And we we didn't have a bad outcome. I mean, yeah, we you know, as you said, there's some, you know, some equipment, whatever that kind of thing. But it, it, but it was a success. I think sometimes people immediately want to look at it as a failure, but yep, those are successes, and we have to be grateful for those. It's, it's absolutely, and that's why I keep that wire. That's a success story, and that's right. a story that I tell often to people um, because it resonated so much with me because I remember when I pulled up on the site, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, we had an arc flash. I hope the guy's not hurt, you know, and I pull and I pull up to the site, and I don't see a bus. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing I do is I get out, and I'm like, you know, where's the person that got hurt? They're all, you know, there's a bunch of guys standing around talking. Where's the person that got hurt? And the guy turns around and he goes, what was me in there? And I'm like, (laughs) you know, and I'm looking at him and I'm like, so where were you at? Well, I was in there. So he tells me and and, uh, and, uh, and then he showed me, he goes, and I said, well, are you injured? And he goes, well, other than needing to go change my pants, (laughs) he said, I've got this little burn. Like say it was like a first degree burn on his wrist and it was just a little, just a tiny area. And then he started talking about, you know, I think career change. And I told him, I said this, and that's exactly what I said to him. I said, this is a success story. Right, man. Because look what you did. And, and it was, and it was neat because it was unfortunate, but neat because his supervisor was standing there and his supervisor even said, you know, all they was going, all they was going to do is go in and energize it. That's all he was doing was energizing this panel. And so he's getting all his gear on and, and this, and this kid's like, all I got to do is go in there and energize. This is taking longer for me to put on all this gear than to just go in and flick the switch. Why can't we just go and say, and the supervisor's like, nope, we have procedures. Mm-hmm. This is what we're going to do. And look what happened. Well, good on the supervisor too, man. Yep. And, and so it, it's a huge success story that, that yeah, PPE seems to be, you know, a lot of people look at it. And even when I teach clashing, they're like, well, it's clear down at the bottom. And I said, well, that doesn't mean it's not important. It's just we've looked at all the other stuff. We've mm-hmm. developed all these other things, and what we have left is PPE, and you can still do it safely, whether it be chemicals or electrical or whatever. If you have the proper gear in place, you can do it safely and right. have events like this and walk away. Right, right. And this kid walked away. <laughs> Excuse me. So, so many of those are combinations, too. I think when people look at mitigating risk, it's not pick one of these sometimes it's a combination of multiples you know yeah. you can do a certain amount of engineering you can do a certain amount of administrative procedural control you yep. can do a certain amount of training and then apply the pp whatever that is it might require a little bit of a unless other than elimination you yep. know you can substitute and still have to do the others oh yeah if it's less at so yep don't don't i think oftentimes you know just building that capacity into our controls is the key. Yeah. So that if we have a failure like that, because you had procedures, you had training, yep. you had PPE, you had done what you could from an engineering standpoint, 
and it worked. Yep. So, you know, everybody and should. that's what's important. Yeah, look in the mirror and say, Whew, but it worked, you know. It worked. And I think we spend, of course, in the safety world, it's so easy to, it's so easy to point out the failures. Oh, the guy didn't have his fall protection on. Right. Or, oh, he didn't have his safety glasses on. Or, oh, he didn't have this or that on. And I think it's important that we also, um, and, and a lot of us um, struggle at this, is you see people working safely and you just think, cool, they work safe and move on. We don't stop and talk to them and say, hey, really appreciate the fact that you guys are, you know, working right. safe. And, you know, because, you know, I truly believe that people don't come to work with the intention of getting hurt. I believe they want to come in and do the best job. Sometimes they get in a hurry or whatever the case may be. But, you know, and people want they want to be recognized. I mean, that's just human nature. You want to be recognized for what mm-hmm. you do. You know, and so it's important that we 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 point out the failures when they occur. I call them opportunities. I don't call them failures. I call them opportunity for improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but you point out those opportunities. But at the same time, you point out you need to be pointing out what they're doing right. I, I agree. Because it's so easy. You know, it's no different than raising our kids. It's so easy to to point out the stuff that's wrong, but never praise them when it's right. Mm-hmm. You know, because you just kind of expect it to be right, and it's like, yeah, yeah, there is that doing tendency. it right, good. You know, and it's the same thing when we get out into the into the into the real world where, you know, folks want to hear they're doing it right. You know, I, I I caught a guy one time that wasn't in fall protection. I pulled him down. I talked to him about it, said, you know, hey, you need to get gear on this and that. Walk back by about 10 minutes later. He's back up there and he's working and he's in fall protection. And I turned around, and looked at him and then give him the thumbs up and said, hey, really appreciate you getting that fall protection on, you know, and and uh, made it a point to make sure he he knew that I saw that he had his mm-hmm. gear gear on yeah and was doing it right and i didn't make a huge deal out of it it was a conversation i pulled him down so we eliminated the hazard immediately got him off there talked about how to do it safely and and when i happened to walk back by a little while later because he went off looking for a harness when i walked by you know 10 15 minutes later he's up there working safely and i made it a point to say hey thank you for go getting harness right it's all about making sure that you're safe i don't want you to fall and hurt yourself so I agree. I, I do think that gets overlooked a little bit in our, you know, there's everything, you know, just trying to get things all accounted for and take care of everything. We, we neglect that piece sometimes, but yep. that's an important piece because I think you're absolutely right. All we want as employee, I mean, you he'll, you will hear people complaining about hours and pay and things like that. But what we all really want is just an acknowledgement, yep. you know, a, a little bit of thank you or something. It doesn't really take much. Yep. I think we should all in 2024 make it a point to be a little bit more thoughtful about that. You know, a little, yep. expressing a little gratitude for the people that have, uh, you know, kind of taken seriously what we've asked of them, you know, to yep. do these things a little bit differently. Maybe it causes them a little bit more time to have to go put on the PP, whatever. Right. But thank you for doing that. That would be a good, that'd yep. be a good goal for 2024. A little it bit more appreciation one. and affirmation maybe. Yep. Joe, man, we run up on the time so fast. An hour just goes by in the blink. We didn't even get onto rail safety. I want to do the same thing as rail yep. safety for dummies at some point because yep. I think that is so interesting. And so many of my clients uh, have rail on their facilities. They may not be like moving a lot of cars. They may not have a rail yard per se, but they have a spur that comes into the facility or whatever. And, oh, yep. man, those are big, unforgiving pieces of equipment. Everybody needs it. So we'll have to do this again after the, in 2024. Yep. But I just want to let everybody know, you know, Joe is, he's been doing a little bit of, well, I shouldn't say a little bit. You've been doing a lot of work on the side Mm -hmm. in addition to your work at the plant, but PSM rail safety training, any, really any and everything, a lot of process stuff. You're a very detail minded person. Uh, and I appreciate your comment about just helping people understand and implement these programs. Mm-hmm. There's oftentimes a failure there in that implementation piece. So yep. Yep. we're going to, I'm going to post your uh, contact information in the, in the notes of the show. Oh, sure. If people want to reach out to you, they'll be able to e- give us an email that you can use, Yep. you know, your personal yep, email I've or whatever. One. And you've got it. It's the I've email got it. that we use. Yep. So. so, you know, if you want to get a hold of Joe, if you have questions, if you want assistance, I wouldn't bombard him with questions. I think maybe you need to set up some kind of a contractual agreement first before you start oh, sure. pounding him with questions. <laughs> I made that mistake in the beginning. You, you, we all want to be helpful, but yep. there's a point where that becomes a little bit burdensome. Um, 
I think this is incredible information, man. And um, I always love our conversations because our minds work so differently. You know, we have the same objectives in mind and we hopefully come to the same place, but our approach is very different. And I really appreciate that. You know, it makes me wish I was a more detail oriented person oftentimes. Oh, sure. And so I love that about you. And so, um, I, I don't, you know, we'll just we have to wrap things up. We're out of time. Um, I don't, I'm not really, uh, you know, I don't, I don't articulate this well, but I am really hopeful that everyone has a good 2024. Mm-hmm. You know, I know some of you are dealing with challenges right now, professionally, the safety stuff. Some, you know, some of you have had bad days recently and, um, I hope you just continue to appreciate the importance of what we do. Yep. This work is really important. I, I, I have a hard time thinking of things that might be really more important. I know that, you know, yeah. doctors and teachers and nurses, and uh, there are a lot of people that do really important work. But this safety thing is important stuff. I, I'm very grateful that I found my way to this profession, and I love the relationships I've made over the years. So I am wishing you all a, a prosperous, um, uh, a satisfying, maybe some type of rewarding maybe re-energizing, whatever that is, 2024. Hopefully we can do it together. If you do need help from Joe or if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. We are going to do another year of the podcast. I've just, you know, confirmed with a few sponsors that we'll be able to keep the doors open. So we'll keep offering information. We'll get Joe back here in the near future to talk about rail safety and other things and the baking too. Let's not forget the baking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe your wife can. Do, I guess say she might have to come in and do she that. She can piece certainly come in and do that piece. I'm the, I'm the builder and she's the baker. <laughs> awesome, but thank you for that. We'll put her information on the website as well. Oh, perfect. So we can get in touch with her. I'll be in touch with her soon because I got a real issue. I got a carrot cake. Like <laughs> she makes a good carrot cake. I'll bet she does. I'm looking forward to it, man. Yep. Thanks for thanks for coming up. Oh, you bet. Appreciate your yep. driving up, man. Yep. And I hope you have a great. New Year's and a great 2024. I know we'll be in touch. So, oh, yeah. Same thank you, everybody. I, I hope your year was a satisfying one. And uh, we look forward to spending some time together in 2024. So, enjoy the weekend. It is Friday now, Friday afternoon on the 29th, I think, or 28th, or whatever day we did the stuff. 29th. Yep. We, 29th. we decided it was we decided the 29th. It was 29th. <laughs> Have a great weekend, and we'll be back on uh, next Friday. Talk to you then. Bye bye. A Huda Media Production.